0: I'm Pete Pedro Hoffmeister, and this is the Boring is a Swear Word podcast. Alright, on deck for today we have these segments. First, people who hate my writing. Second, a ridiculous true story. Third, the best thing I've read this week. Fourth, a segment I'm going to call Geeking Out. Fifth, we're going to have journalists y gente loca, y finalmente, a message from my dog. Because I've published six books, I've had a lot of opportunities for people to hate my writing. But today I'm gonna focus on responses to an article I wrote a few years ago about my troubled teenage years. Those were years when I um, got expelled from a high school, then expelled from another high school, then went to another high school and got expelled from that third high school. These were years when I had run-ins with the sheriff's department and police officers, got arrested. I used to carry a forty caliber pistol I dealt drugs, robbed stores, got in fights in parking lots in the middle of the night. You know stuff like that. I was basically um, like the world's best teenager, and to be honest, lately I've been wishing that there was someone special like that for my teenage daughters to date. But that's another topic. Anyway, in this article that I wrote, I, I talked about various factors that influenced me in a positive way and. Uh, factors that influenced me in negative ways. And I mentioned that since I was so troubled and sometimes violent and carried a gun, it was good that I didn't also play violent video games and desensitize myself to first-person shooter violence. The main point of my essay was to encourage young people to get outside more and adventure in nature, since that helped turn my life around. Everything with the article was going fine. But then the Sandy Hook parents reposted it, and then the New York Post picked it up, and then it was all over Facebook. The article went viral, there were millions of readers. I ended up getting more than 5,000 comments online, which was really cool for me, like good exposure. But it also meant that first-person shooter video game manufacturers and project managers went online and responded like this. And note, as I read this man's response, I'll raise my voice a little for anything that has an exclamation point or is in all caps. So here goes. This is what a video game producer wrote about my writing. Quote, This was overwhelmingly retarded. Your argument that gaming is training to kill is just beyond bogus. The imitation of violence, because that's what you're referring to in video games, sex, murder, dragon slaying, turtle stomping, etc., does not in any way lead to killing masses of people in public for no reason. You could have easily said the same thing about any other art, entertainment medium, and sadly, people like you have, dumbass. It is amazing and sad how you cannot see how this would ever get published anywhere other than here. Media, though an influence on people, that effect, BTW, which is determined by how much an individual applies their own critical thinking to what they're told, can never make anyone kill people. Ever. Ever. It's infuriating that I have to even explain this to someone who is quote-unquote a teacher. So pretty please, my stupid, stupid friend, do not be a part of the wave that is trying to suck us all backwards into the Stone Age because you think you have a grasp on what it is to be a sick kid. You were and are one and still don't get it. Okay, that's the end of his uh, review of my writing. And that seems like a pretty bad review. Like, um, maybe he didn't like my writing very much. But then there was this comment by a person who identified himself as Gamer X. Gamer X wrote, We should decapitate Hofmeister and burn his body. End of quote. Okay. Okay. I hear you, Gamer X. And I think I know how you feel about my writing. And uh, to be honest, I think you, Mr. Gamer X. You did a pretty good job of proving that violent video games don't do anything to your brain. They don't affect you in any way at all. Zero effects. And to both of you, video game advocates, I wanna say that you represented your demographic really well. I mean, to be honest, People who casually use the words um, retarded and decapitate seem like, and this is just my opinion, so I could be wrong, but you seem like really well-adjusted, culturally competent members of our society. So you keep gaming, boys. You're doing great. I said before, I was expelled from three high schools, and I'll tell those stories in later podcast episodes. But today, I'm going to tell the story of my only suspension in all of high school. I only got suspended once. Um, So, you know, like minor trouble. And this was after I went to the Stony Brook School in New York and got expelled and then uh, lived with a family in Arizona for a month, was out of school, and then went to Tennessee to a reform school, and got expelled there. Then I was sent to live with my grandparents in California for the summer, and then I moved back to Eugene, and then I applied for a job at a mortuary. And um, I didn't get the long-term job at the mortuary because they liked how I was around dead bodies, but they didn't like the fact that I uh, didn't grow a serious mustache. And they asked me how I felt about mustaches, but that's another story. Um... Then I worked at Taco Bell, which was a glorious job. Taco Bell was amazing. And then I went to Marist Catholic High School in Eugene. So I was attending Marist Catholic High School, which was run by priests, Jesuit priests. Father Lopez was the principal. But there was a dean, a dean of discipline named Mr. Reagan. And um, Mr. Reagan's whole job was to just kind of uh, talk to kids who were making, in the school's opinion, bad decisions, and he came up with what the school decided were appropriate punishments. For example, if you were supposed to wear a tie to Mass on Friday, and your tie was off-center or loose, or you weren't wearing a tie, you got sent to Mr. Reagan, right? And then you would walk in there, and Mr. Reagan would say things like, I would like to watch you shave, and you'd say, what? And he'd say, I want to watch you shave. And then he would hand you a single razor with no shaving cream. And then you would dry shave your face in front of him. Because that's not creepy at all. And um, maybe a little bit erotic for him. I'm not sure. I'm not inside his head. I wasn't inside his head. Um, But he would come up with punishments like dry shaving. Um, So I had a full schedule of classes except for my last period of the day. I had a free period the last period of the day and because I would play football after school, I'd have practice, I, I couldn't leave campus, you know, I couldn't go home or anything like that, plus I had to give my little brother a ride, so I would stay at school, and because there was often nothing else to do, I would just go into the art room, and the art teacher was super cool, she would just hand me pencils or charcoal or crepas or a canvas or something, she would just say, you know, make some art, Pete, and... I, So I would make art generally during my free period. So I went into the art class almost every single day, even though that wasn't a class for me. I just went in there for fun because art's cool, and I would, you know, make things out of clay or whatever. Anyway, there was a girl in there um, who I ended up sitting next to a few times and talking to and getting to know, even though I was a new student at the school. And after a while, we got to know each other pretty well. And one day I walked into art class, and this girl said, hey, you want to do something fun? And I was like, all right. And so she walked out of class and I followed her and it wasn't even my class. So it didn't really matter. Anyway, I followed her out of class and she quickly like snuck to the back of the property. And so I snuck back there with her. I was just following her and she's like, want to swim in the river? And I was like, okay. So we climbed over the fence and, um, hiked down to the river. It wasn't very far. And she was like, you want a skinny dip with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, yeah, that sounds good. I mean, we didn't have any swimsuits so that made a lot of sense, right? Um, we weren't going to swim in our school clothes. So we ended up uh, stripping down. She stripped down. I stripped down. We went swimming. We swam in the river for a while. Yeah, it was pretty fun. And then we got back out we put our clothes on, and we climbed back over the fence, and we started to sneak back across campus to get back to the end of her art class, right, and um, the teacher saw us, so there was this teacher there, and I think she was smoking, but you know, teachers aren't allowed to smoke on campus, so maybe she wasn't smoking, I'm not really sure, but I'm pretty sure she was smoking a cigarette anyway. Teacher caught us, and she's like, you guys need to come with me. I saw you climbing back over the fence. And so we were like, okay, well, we're caught. I mean, what are we going to do? So, you know, we walked with this teacher, and she took us to Mr. Reagan's office. So we go into Mr. Reagan's office, this girl and I, and he says, so that teacher caught you sneaking back over the fence. What were you doing off campus? And, you know, I've been in trouble before. And I just decided, I'm just going to tell the truth. So I said, we were skinny dipping in the river. Our hair is wet. Our clothes are dry. That's what we were doing. And Mr. Reagan looked at the girl, and he looked at me. And he said, you were smoking pot. We were like, what? No, we weren't smoking pot. Look, our... Our, our hair's wet, our clothes are dry, we snuck over the fence towards the river, we went to the river, we skinny dipped in the river, we know it was against the rules, going off campus, going in the river, all that kind of stuff, naked, whatever. That's what we were doing. And he looked at us again, the girl, and at me, and he said, no, you're smoking pot. And the girl looked at me, and I looked at her, and we were just kind of like, uh... But, uh, and the girl, she just looked back at Mr. Reagan. She was like, it was my idea. And uh, we climbed over the fence and we went to the river and we skinny dipped and uh, it it was my idea. We did it. She she was honest. The girl was honest. And I'd been honest. Um, Mr. Reagan looked at both of us and he kind of paused for a minute because he was really good at dramatic pauses when you were in trouble. That was one of his things, dramatic pauses. He looked at both of us and then we got suspended for smoking pot. In the best thing I've read this week, um, it's actually rereading. I was rereading The correspondence an essay collection by J.D. Daniels. And Daniels has an essay called Letter from Cambridge that starts out, and it's this story about him being a security guard and drinking too much and wanting to be a writer but not yet being a writer and instead studying a lot of jiu-jitsu. And I, you know, I related to it as a writer but also as somebody who used to study mixed martial arts and I wrestled in college. And so Daniels, the author, is in Brazil. And he's training with this Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor. And um, they're kind of training and then talking and then training and then talking. And there's this section right here that I'm going to read. Off the mat, he was calm and kind, that young man. He gave me a lot of good advice. Fighting make my life, he said. You know what you feel in fight? Excite, scare. Now I kill him. Oh, God, don't hurt me. I win everything. I never win nothing, you know? And without fighting, when you feel this in your life, for someone else is once in 10 years, when you get married, when son is born, when his father die, two, three days in life, you feel this. Here, you feel every day. Fear, happy, anger, strong. Can I do it? No, I can't do it. Yes, I did it. It'd make you a more major person. Is this right? Major? It'd make him have his life. Thinking about that passage, for me, it relates to why I love to adventure in the outdoors. For example, last weekend, my daughter Rue, my nephew Homer, and some friends and I all decided to go snow camping so we drove up to the pass and then got our big backpacks on and hiked up the fuji road three and a half miles uphill up above this valley across from diamond peak and it was beautiful there's this backcountry shelter in the willamette national forest so we were going to hike up there and then stay in the shelter and sleep in the little wooden sleeping loft above the wood stove with that um Southern light and the huge valley in front of us. Gorgeous. But the shelters are first come, first served. So when we got up there, um, the sleeping loft was already taken. And I kind of got our group together. And not everybody had snow camp before, so I didn't know how people would feel about different options. So I said, okay. Um, the shelter's already taken. One thing we could do is we could just hike back down. It's all downhill from here, and we could say, well, that was an awesome snow hike, and we'll come back another time to crash at the shelter. Or we could build shelters out in the snow. We could build wind walls. We could build an igloo. Um, a couple people had a tent. We could kind of piece together shelters, and we could sleep out there, and it wasn't supposed to snow that night, so... Some of us could sleep out under the stars. As long as we built wind walls, it wouldn't be too cold at night, even in the snow. And I kind of looked at my group and asked what they wanted to do, and everybody was excited to start building. So we built some wind walls, and we started to put together an igloo. And eventually, we had a couple people sleep on the floor of the shelter, a couple people in a tent, a couple people in the igloo. My nephew and I, Homer and I, we um, slept out under the stars with some wind walls around us on an outdoor sleeping porch. And Homer cut off green boughs and laid them down and we put our sleeping pads over so there was insulation from the snow. And earlier we'd lit a big fire and built a bench out of snow and put some insulation over the top of it so we'd all sat around a nice fire under the stars. And it was beautiful. But you know, it was different than what we thought since we were sleeping out in the snow rather than the shelter. and Um, we all crashed, and about 6 in the morning, Homer and I are sleeping there, kind of off and on waking up and looking at the sky, and suddenly it starts snowing pretty hard on our faces. It didn't snow for too long, but it just snowed hard on us. And Homer and I both started giggling. And in that moment, and in any moment like that, you feel like you really have your life. Like your life is a little more major when you're getting snowed on in the mountains and you're sleeping out under the stars and the clouds. Lately I've been geeking out about the star Polaris. So to give some context, Polaris is the 48th brightest star in the sky. It sits at the end of the handle of the Little Dipper in the constellation Ursa Minor. You can find Polaris by using the guide stars in the Big Dipper, which is part of Ursa Major, or you can use the flat pan technique across the smash W of the constellation Cassiopeia. If you want to double check that Polaris is the star that you think it is, you can consider your latitude. For example, we're almost halfway between the equator and the North Pole where I live. So if I look at a 45 degree angle up in the northern sky, I can double check to see if the star I think is Polaris is actually Polaris. But geeking out about Polaris is actually uh, a little more complicated for me in my head. First, Polaris is always within 0.7 degrees of true north right now. It didn't used to be the north star thousands of years ago, but right now it's within 0.7 degrees of true north at all times. So the first point that I geek out about is that we're roughly 93 million miles from the sun. So our orbit around the sun is never more than about 93 million miles away, although right now we're about 91 million miles away at this point in our orbit. But to take an average, we're about 93 million miles away from the sun. Polaris to our north in the celestial sphere is 323 light years away. So that means that it takes 323 years for the light from Polaris to reach Earth. Another way to think about it is that that light was emitted from Polaris 323 years ago, meaning in the year 1697. It's hard to understand uh, time and distance, at least for me. I struggle with that. And um, I can't really conceptualize how far away 323 light years is. But when I think about our orbit around the sun, it allows me to understand just how far that is. So our orbit around the sun has a diameter of 186 million miles, and as we travel 186 million miles on either side of the sun, 186 million miles, Polaris is still within 0.7 degrees of true north, meaning it is so far to the north of us in the celestial sphere that even as we travel 186 million miles either way on either side of the sun, Polaris is never more than 0.7 degrees from true north. Also, going back, if the light emitted from Polaris is from 1697, that means that we can travel back in time, and we are traveling back in time, every time we look at light from stars, because we're going back in time. And this is the second thing that I geek out about. Einstein understood that time could be manipulated, time could be warped, time could be bent, because of that concept. One, The star's light that we're seeing is is actually from a different time period, Um, Polaris just being one example. The second part relates to Einstein's theory of general relativity. Obviously, the speed of light is constant in a vacuum, except space isn't a vacuum because space is full of enormous objects that have gravitational pulls. So basically, Einstein thought of space and time as a blanket. And this blanket could be stretched. And large objects with enormous gravitational forces could actually bend space-time. This was tested, um, I think it was in 1919, when there was a solar eclipse so that scientists could see stars in the daytime that were very near the sun as the sun passed by. So during the complete eclipse, scientists were able to look at stars and recognize that their positions were actually changed just a little bit. They were warped because of the gravitational influence of the sun. So the light had to actually bend As it came to Earth, it had to bend around the gravitational force of the sun, which means that space-time can be bent. And if space-time can be bent, that means time can be bent, which means that time, which we think of as a constant, is actually something that can be manipulated. Journalist, y gente loca. I'm gonna start with my New Year's resolutions from 2019, since it's January of 2020. I wrote some goals like camp 30 nights during the year, or spend 30 days on the river. Um, things like write 30 poems, and I ended up doing pretty well on my resolutions. Um, For example, it was easy to climb 30 times outside. I rock climbed 73 days outside during 2019. But some other goals were pretty difficult for me. For example, read 30 books. Um, I've never read 30 books in a year. And I know you're not supposed to admit this if you're a writer and a reader. But I'm a really, really slow reader. I struggle with reading pace. I um, don't read quickly at all, ever. Uh, For example... If I'm in a meeting and everybody in the meeting is supposed to read a a single page and then raise their hand when they're finished, I'll be the last person in the entire meeting to raise his hand, um, always. So I read every single day in 2019, but I struggled to read 30 books. I got to 33, which felt pretty good to me. Um, but I, I had to read a couple of really short books, um, just to make it happen, just, you know, admitting that that's what happened. I read a couple really short books, you know, 120-page books, just so I could say I got above 30. But I read 33 books, and I felt pretty good about that. The one goal that I didn't get to this last year was 30 screen Sabbaths, so 24 hours straight without looking at a screen. And I only got 22 of the 30. I mean, I didn't come close to getting 30 And I thought, you know, that says something about me and my addiction to screens and how often I look at screens of any kind. But maybe it also says something about our culture. Um, I guess it's something I got to keep working on. And it's amazing that even though I don't own a cell phone, I've never owned a cell phone, I still only had 22, 24 hour periods where I didn't look at a screen. That's kind of crazy. Y por gente loca, um, first, uh, thinking about crazy people, I was driving down 6th Street the other day, and I was right in front of the sheriff's department, and I stopped at a red light going east on 6th Street, and this truck behind me in the lane next to me just kept driving, and it drove straight through the red light, and all these cars hit their brakes and swerved and honked, And the truck just kept driving. And then I watched it drive another block, and it got to another red light. And it just drove straight through that red light, too. And I don't know what that guy was thinking in that moment where his head was, but he was just driving east steadily at 30 miles an hour in his 3,000-pound vehicle. No matter what came at him, he was going. And I thought, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) The second example of Loca is uh, Rod Stewart, the world-famous singer. He's 74 years old. Yesterday, he got arrested. He got arrested for simple battery. And I was like, well, what's simple battery mean, right? He punched a security guard in the left ribcage area. Now, I've never been punched by a 74-year-old man, so I don't know for certain what that feels like, but... I don't think a 74-year-old man punching somebody in the left ribcage area is a very effective punch. So I was thinking maybe Rod Stewart, I know he's 74 years old, but maybe Rod Stewart needs to study some jiu-jitsu and become a more effective fighter. This very first episode is dedicated to Caleb Rexius, who absolutely made this podcast happen. And now, finally, my dog, Bob Dylan, the boy dog Hoffmeister. He told me this morning that it really, really matters to him. It's really important to him that you give this podcast a five-star review. Mr. Dylan would also love it if you'd subscribe and tell other people about boring is a swear word. And my